0: I'm John Bailey and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie I'll be reviewing the final MCU movie of the year And the palate cleanser to Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp Plus the unexpected Purge prequel movie, The First Purge Plus a quick Netflix and chat to promote our Patreon content Because you gotta learn about it from somewhere So, let's get started Hey, what'd I miss? We were just Tiny! I was partners with Hank on a project called Goliath. How big did you get? My record, 21 feet. You? 65 feet. 65. If you two are finished comparing sizes... 65. Phase three is proving to be the best of the MCU phases so far. It's it's gonna have a lot to live up to. Two of my favorite movies from the entire MCU three, like three of my top five, are from Phase three. It's it's it is proven to be a a phenomenal run for them, and it ends the year on a high note. Uh, it's not as I will say it's not as good as uh, Black Panther or Infinity War, but it's exactly what we needed after uh, Black Panther and Infinity War. So, um, right off the bat, this is kind of uh, taking place congruently with Black Panther right before Infinity War, that time frame. Uh, What happened after uh, Civil, uh, Civil War was... Uh, and they mentioned this i believe in either infinity war i believe in infinity war they mentioned this hawkeye and ant-man got um pardons essentially they got parole by uh, agreeing to do house arrest so they could be near their family and we are three days left from ant-man finishing scotland you know Scott Lang finishing his um his parole his uh his his sentence his house arrest and able to uh, returned to his regular life with uh, his buddies, uh, T.I., um, Michael Pena, and I do not remember the Russian guy. I forget who he is. Let me double check. Because he was the same, one, same ones from the last movie. They returned as, and started a security company called X-Con, where three, Where a bunch of X-Cons help you devise uh, the best security systems. You can, you know, you can buy. Uh, David Daskmalchian. Uh, who is also apparently a th- one of Joker's thugs in the Dark Knight. And also featured in Blade Runner 2049 and Prisoners. So he's getting good work. And uh, I think most people will probably recognize him from these movies, though. <laughs> um, yeah. And and uh, while this is going on, uh, Hank Pym and Ho have been trying to re-reach the quantum realm again, believing that Janet Van Dyne, Hope's mom, could still be alive. And so one of their attempts leaves an opening, and Scott Lang has a premonition, a, a dream, where he is Janet Van Dyne. And he calls Hank and says, Look, I don't know if this means anything, but I had this dream... I thought I was, I thought I was this woman, uh, I I don't know, maybe the quantum realm did something to me, but he, he passes it off as, nah, that's probably nothing. But Hank thinks Scott's the key because of his connection, because of his, him already being in the quantum realm and having that dream at the same moment as them accessing the quantum realm means there's something going on here. Unfortunately, the only, there are other people who want that knowledge, mainly uh, an art, a black market dealer, not an arms specifically, but a lot of technology and stuff, played by Walton Goggins, who wants uh, the Quantum Realm to access. He wants Hank Pym to give him access to the Quantum Realm so he could profit off it. And the other, on the other hand, you have a figure from Hank's past, a victim of his uh, sort of sort of um, dicketry. Uh, for lack of a better term his cult, his callousness uh who re- who requires quantum energy in order to in order to in order to keep in order to stay alive um which is the character ghost uh played by I didn't recognize her and I'm sure if she's a newcomer Hannah John Kamen. Kamen? Yeah, I'm assuming Kamen. Uh oh god, she was also in uh Ready Player 1. Oh my god, I think she was the 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 uh, Sophia Batella sort of henchwoman character from Ready Player One. Uh, she was also in Black Mirror and something called Killjoys. So she's... Oh, she was also in uh, Tomb Raider. So she's started to come up in more stuff. Uh, this, will prob- this is probably her biggest role to date uh, as a Marvel uh, villain. Villainess, I guess. And her backstory is incredible. I don't want to give too much away about it. But suffice to say that there's ties back to Hank Pym's past, and so Hank, Hank and Hope are on a time crunch because they only have about a, about they only have about a couple days in order to access the exact point in the quantum realm where Janet is, or else they'll lose her for for hundreds of years. And they're also on the run from the FBI because Scott by Scott going to Germany, he connected the Pym's. To the anti, you know, to the uh, uh Sokovia Accords, so they're also wanted by the FBI for violation of the Sokovia Accords, and between Walton Goggins hunting them down, Ghost chasing after him, and the FBI always on their tail, it's a it's a it's a manic race to the race to beat the clock in order to save Janet from the quantum realm, and I had a blast with this movie. This is. This really is one of my favorite sort of lackadaisical, you know, less intense of the Marvel movies. I think Marvel's at its best when it's trying to tell a deep, compelling story. That's why Infinity War and Civil War are kind of my favorites. But uh, I love having stuff like this and the Guardians movies and Thor Ragnarok. Having that lightheartedness there is a nice sort of breath of fresh air compared to the heaviness that comes with some of their other movies. Even though they're better movies, they're they're rough to to, to always go back and rewatch. Uh, like I don't see Infinity War being the one everyone goes back to over and over again, like the first Avengers. Uh, and uh, and for the most part, this continues the most of the stuff from uh, the first Ant Man, but it improves on a lot of stuff because there's one streamlined vision. It's not it doesn't suffer from the same issue that Solo did, where it's two directors trying to trying to coalesce into a single movie you know one director leaving early and the other taking over it's it because it's this is um what's his name peyton reed i believe peyton reed yeah it's it's his movie from the get-go he's able to take um the story and develop it through with, alongside kevin Feige to uh tell the complete story the way he intended it. he wanted to and what we got was a lot of fun. Uh, Cassie Lang is the best MCU character, period, end of story. Sorry, sorry, Steve, you can't beat Cassie Lang. She is amazing. She is my life at everything. She is wondrous and beautiful and too good for this world. We des- we do not deserve Cassie Lang. I'm just going to say that. she's. I've, I've liked her from the last movie, and here she's even better. She is adorable and precocious and fun and I love everything about her and I just and I can't and I honestly I'm just waiting for her to join the Pym family of heroes because in the comics that's what she is she is a hero who can change size or shrink depend and kind of like a mini wasp character like a sidekick wasp sort of thing or uh either that or she goes by stature and grows to about like 20 or so feet and I can't wait for her to join her dad in the superheroics because that's gonna be fun Uh, And the girl's just nailing it, too. She is amazing in this role. Uh, What's her name? Abby Ryder Fortson. She is adorable and amazing. Uh, I haven't seen her in anything else. I don't watch Transparent. Apparently she was on that. Uh, She plays a voice in Trolls, the TV series, on something called Togetherness. Uh, The Whispers yeah I'm not recognizing any of this apparently she first appeared in an episode of the Mindy Project so I'm hopeful she gets more stuff from this she is great I can't wait to see what she does from here she is this is like seeing um Chloe Grace Moretz's hit girl in Kick-Ass seeing somebody who clearly has uh has a future ahead of them because they have just that personality and that charisma as an actor and I can't wait um, they also add uh, Randall Park to the NCU. Randall Park, comedian, uh, comedic actor, best known probably for Fresh Off the Boat uh, as the dad there, and also playing Kim Jong-un in The Interview, and also as Danny Chung in Veep. He is playing the FBI agent tasked to monitor Scott Lang, and he is fun and, and charming and funny, and he's a great addition to this cast. And, of course, um, they don't really utilize them too much this time. But Judy Greer and Bobby Cannavale return as Scott's ex-wife and uh, new and uh, her new husband. Uh, they aren't used as much this time. But I'm glad that they're still around and they're still supportive of Scott after all of this. And uh, I will say the weak point is kind of Walton Goggins. He's sort of just being a regular Walton Goggins character. (laughs) You know, he's not being all that... He's not all that impressive in the role. He's... Especially since he's kind of played it as a joke from time to time. But he's still fun. He's still... You know, he still brings a lot to the role uh, for what little there is. But the supervillain role, uh, the ghost... The character of Ghost is phenomenal. It's a great backstory. Great. uh, They even managed to bring in Bill Foster... Played by Lawrence Fishburne here, who in the comics has just—I read an article, I think from uh, ComicBook.com or whatever. Uh, one of the, there was a, some, maybe the Hollywood Reporter, but there was it was a comment. It was a it was an article about how basically Bill Foster has always gotten screwed over by Marvel Comics from being like the victim of stuff, so that the other heroes can act on his defense. Like his whole cre- his the whole reason for his creation was for the Avengers to have a reason to fight white supremacists. As though they needed a reason to fight white supremacists. uh, Because, you know, they're white supremacists. Superman didn't need a reason to fight the Ku Klux Klan. He just fought the Ku Klux Klan because they're the bad people. You don't need a black character to be your black friend so you have a reason to fight white supremacists. You could just say, these guys are assholes. They're going to hurt people. Let's, Let's kick their ass. But, I don't know. Uh... And of course, he is one of the main victims of Marvel Civil War, the comic, where he was killed by a clone of Thor, which is just just dynamite stuff. There, Mark Miller, Mark Millar, just just dynamite stuff you came up with there. Uh, a clone robot of Thor. And of course, despite the fact that he's a Pym Particle user, Hank Pym was unable to shrink him, so they wrap him up in chains in order to bury him. Millar, you ignorant slut. Oh, God, that was, God, that Civil War comic was so terrible. Just the worst. And he complained that the movie was bad. <laughs> I've read your comic, Dillweed. The movie improved it in so many ways. And, uh... Yeah, so Bill Foster here get doesn't get the doesn't get screwed over. What a shocker. Holy cow. Bill Foster didn't get screwed over. Wait, don't don't jinx it yet. Don't jinx it yet. He could get screwed over by phase 4. Just, just please please don't do this to us Marvel. Don't screw over Bill Foster. I don't care if he becomes Goliath again. Don't screw over Bill Foster this time. You owe it to him. Anyway, yeah, this movie has and, of course, um, they they kind of give it away in the poster who plays Janet Van Dyne. But the addition of Michelle Pfeiffer to this cast, I love her. I love that she's part of the MCU now. She's amazing. I just love – I love everything about her. And she gets to play Jan- – and I hope to see more of her as Janet pretty soon. The best scene with Janet Van Dyne is when she is uh, basically uh, – well, I won't give it away. But there's one – but it doesn't involve – but sadly, it doesn't involve Michelle Pfeiffer Um, and I hope to see, and and I'm hoping that, um, come, uh, come phase four and beyond, Janet Van Dyne is going to feature more prominently in this, in this, in this corner of the MCU. Um, I, am trying to think if there's anything else I want to say that doesn't get into two minute spoiler ridge. Um, I will give a spoiler section because there is some stuff that does delve into spoilers that I want to talk about. But for the most part, yeah, this is, This is an excellent way to end uh, 2018 for the MCU. It's a great Palette cleanser from Infinity War. And it's just a fun movie. It's just all around fun. You should, you gotta check it out. I mean, I love, oh, that's the other thing. uh, The de-aging. The de-aging in this movie is the best the MCU has done. It was kind of okay in in the first Ant-Man. It was um, better in Guardians Volume 2. Here it's the best it's been. I'm hoping it stays this good From now on, because the de-aging for Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas is phenomenal. So yeah, if you don't want to get into spoilers, skip ahead to the first purge. But otherwise... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Alright, you have been warned. From this point on, we're getting into spoiler territory. There be spoilers ahead. And uh, mainly for Infinity War, but also tying into the spoilers for events in this movie. Okay, so the main, uh, the main, the reason I love um, Ghost's backstory is it ties into. Uh, I didn't. I don't remember this character from the comics. Oh, I'm also, I should also say that my comics information is all secondhand. It's by proxy comic information, but apparently she is written as the uh, biracial daughter. Oddly enough, it's an interesting choice that they made there of a villain in comics known as Egghead. Now, Egghead is uh, doesn't have a superpower. He just has an egg-shaped head, and he teams up with um, other supervillains like the Mad Thinker and Puppet Master. Uh, he was mainly kind of a supervillain for Ant-Man, I believe Hank Pym. ...and the Avengers early on. Uh, Here he was a former uh, associate of Hank Pym... ...who studied with him at S.H.I.E.L.D. And his daughter was caught... ...he decided to try and access the Quantum Realm himself... ...when Pym dismissed him. And uh, here his name is Elias Starr. And his daughter Ava is the one who gains the power of Ghost. And it deals with her getting overloaded with quantum radiation essentially from the quantum realm and uh the ghost from the comics is usually a guy and he's mainly been a an iron man villain he's a hacker and he's a a a spy sort of thing uh marksman and uses this mainly uses the suit in order to um dissipate through walls and whatnot never really um Never had like real superpowers. It was more like just the suit. And here the suit isn't nothing. It's, it's just her, her own. It's meant to kind of tie her down to earth. And it's because of her, her, um, her overloading on quantum energy. She needs to drain it ideally from believing she needs to uh, drain it from Janet while she tries to return from the quantum realm. Thinking that that will save her. And it's, up, and, but, but everyone, but it's, um, but, uh, Hank and Hope think that that doing so would ultimately rip Janet apart and kill her. And Ava's like, who cares about your wife? You did this to me. I don't care. And it's that sort of, and Bill's, and Bill Foster ultimately plays a role in trying to ground her and make her realize she can't go that far. She's, he's kind of the con, her conscience in a way, because he wants to help her. But he doesn't want her to become a monster and a villain. And it's a great dynamic and I love it. And of course, you're probably wondering how this ties back into Infinity War. There was a post credit sequence. And then that sequence, to, uh, Scott goes down into the quantum realm to build, to capture some quantum energy in order to help Ghost out. And while he's down there, all the Pym, the Pym and both Van Dynes all turn to ash. Right as... Uh, this happens right as Thanos snaps his finger, so the Pims are gone. Pim is gone, and so are the Van Dynes, and Scotts in the Quantum Realm. So expect that going into Infinity War- and uh, the follow-up to Infinity War. So that deals with the spoilers. Like I said, this is an amazing Marvel movie. One of my, fa- my- better than the first Ant Man, and further proof that Phase Three is the best Marvel phase so far. So there you go. They all ex-military. Something funky going down, dude. You're sending soldiers into the island disguised as citizens. This country needs for this to work. No one's coming to help us. After tonight, nothing will ever be the same again. They forgot about one thing. They forgot about us. What have I done? Stay strong, I'm coming. Just remember all the good. The I should admit, things. I've never been that big of a fan of this series. Uh, I it has gotten better with subsequent uh, iterations in the franchise, but I think the concept itself take it is just so ludicrous that I wish they wouldn't focus so much on it, and that's kind of what we got here. This is, for all intents and purposes, an origin story for the concept of the purge, and the and the fact that we, and the the reason they give for it existing is kind of lackluster. Ultimately, I didn't really need it. Basically, what happened was Marissa Tomei is in a glorified cameo as a sociologist who thinks that getting getting everyone's anger and hate out in one single night will solve humanities ails and is shocked to find out that the fascist government that is funding her prod her her experiment is is um you know messing with the results in order to meet their own ends so you have a sociologist who doesn't understand how you know human behavior works trying to use you know basically ending up being a pawn of a fascist government an experiment that had no Possible way of working out and being taken seriously by the scientific community. Here's the thing. Experimenters are, are often compensated for taking part in an experiment. They aren't outright paid up front. In order to take part in the experiment, they're, you're supposed to remain unbiased. And by paying people who are of low income $5,000 to take part in an experiment... You're automatically messing with. The, you're on your. You're not going to end up with a unbiased result. There, are of course, going to be issues with that. People are, you know, whether they purge or not. That you can't expect people to accept that money. In order to take part, and especially when you're compensating them for each subsequent action they do while the experiment is going on, that's not how good experiments are worked. You're supposed to have a control group. You're supposed to account for variables. This is not good experimenting. How do you not know how to science? Anyway, yeah, I got issues with this premise. So it's ba- but ba- but basically, it doesn't matter. None of the actual none of the, it doesn't matter that it's not real science because it's all a, a, a way of the new founding fathers, the fascistic regime of the the franchise, to gain control over the population and have a means of exploiting the underclass, especially people of color, which is why our protagonists are all people of color. And not only, you know, mainly black with some Latinx, Latinx, uh, you know, Hispanic people uh, as well. And it takes place in Staten Island this time. So I forget where the first one took place. I wore the second one. I know the third one I rewatched the third one for uh Patreon stuff, which I'll comment on later, but uh that one took place I know in d c this one takes place in staten island uh specifically, and it it focuses mainly on people of color, mainly a black family, a black drug dealer, and that black family's uh, a black brother and sister, a black drug dealer who is kind of the local crime lord. And the black brother and sisters, uh, hi- hi- Hispanic, they don't specifically say their backstory, you know, their, their lineage. So just Hispanic uh, mother and daughter friends who and the uh, da- the sister is mainly, fo- you know, mainly fighting against the purge because they know she understands that it's not a real experiment. It's just a, a means of controlling the population by the government and she is fighting back against it meanwhile the drug kingpin just wants to lay low doesn't want anybody to take part in it he understands also that it's not really about any you know it's not really about anything it's just a means of exploiting people and the brother is kind of caught caught up in the whole i want to take part in this thing i i want to i want to do stuff and part of that is because there is apparently a local serial killer, uh, drug fiend. I don't know. Basically, he's the black version of Zaz from the Batman comics. He goes by the name Skeletor. He's all scarred up and tattooed. He looks like he looks like a modern day SoundCloud rapper, essentially. If you know any of the, if you if you can picture what the young, uh, really tatted up. Hip hop artists look like that's basically what he looks like, pretty much, only with more scarring and less tattoos. But yeah, he's basically Zazz, uh, a play as uh, from Batman comics, and he is just going about attacking people. And so the brother wants revenge against this sto- uh, this Skeletor character for making him, you know, for ta- for trying to hurt him. And it's and it, the ma- the best thing is it continues the social. And political commentary. It continues the theme that this, the Newfoundland Fathers are a far-right fascist regime who are utilizing the purge as a means to exploit the, the underprivileged. And as a means of not, you know, and they even call it out as a means of not having to pay welfare. And as a means of population control, which is all utter BS when you know anything about how that works. It's just a means for them to exploit the underclass for the benefit of the wealthy. And that, and this kind of showcases how it all starts. And I honestly and was okay not knowing any of this, but it's not a bad story either. I mean, the fact that it focuses so much on people of color with the antagonists all being white people, even Marissa Tomei is kind of the kind of one of the antagonists ultimately, even if she starts to realize that she's being taken, she's her experiment is being utilized for the benefit of the government, which how what level of of under uh, sheltered un uh, unassuming mindset do you have to be in to be like, Wow, this fascistic government is funding my experiment and totally put, put, totally making it out in their favor it's totally pushing the scales in their favor they want an outcome to to excuse to to in order to excuse some sort of decision. gee. How could that have ever have happened? She'd have been better off funding this experiment through the UN. Or through like a European government. So that, she, so that people know how to science. Anyway. yeah, I have problems with Marissa Tomei's character. She is a terrible doctor. And a terrible sociologist. Who has no idea how to science. Um, but yeah. Overall. I was okay not knowing the origin. But it's not a bad movie either. I think the first purge is still kind of the de facto worst. Only because it doesn't really do much of anything. It's the it's the sequels that all kind of build up this franchise, and I'm more interested in trying to. I, apparently, there is going to be an anthology series, a TV series about the Purge, which I'm okay with. I'm down with that. I think that would be cool, and I and continuing the anthology stories of like here's St. Louis during the Purge, here's Albuquerque during the Purge, here's Chicago during the Purge. You know, hear comment on things going on in these cities by utilizing the purge and i think that would be interesting i think continuing the storyline after this where that um where that senator took over from the new founding fathers and canceled the purge and how that comes you know how people are fighting to keep the purge i think that would be interesting commentary on what's going on but yeah for what it is this is fine it's just not one of my favorite entries in the series uh, I don't think I have a favorite. I don't know if it's Anarchy or Election Year. That would be my favorite. But even so, I'm not a big fan of this franchise, ultimately. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. All right. So, the Netflix and chats. Uh, from now on are also going to show are also going to be part of showcasing Patreon content, Patreon exclusive content. Uh there is going I am hoping to do more stuff that's just stuff I watch during the week, but for the most part this, you know, this is going also going to help to showcase what I did cuz some of the stuff I watch during the week is exclusive Patreon content. And so this week's exclusive Patreon content was a munch along for the movie Ants by Dreamworks. And they make a better movie of The Purge election year. Which turned out surprisingly interesting. Uh, if you want to check them out, support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. Just as little as a dollar a month and you can have access to all that official content. And if I can get to certain goals, some of them will be released on the main feed. But they'll still be still start out exclusively for uh, patrons. Maybe for like the first two weeks or something. And then... uh and then ho- and, you know, hopefully I can build it up from there. But I would lo- really like people to show support for the podcast so they can, can keep keep giving people this extra content. And you know, there's already um, there's already two I think saved up three because there's the two from the Jura- there's two of the Jurassic Park ones from when Jurassic World came out. I missed that week because I was in Chicago, and now this week we have A Man and the Wasp and the Purge tie-ins. Uh, I'm hoping to keep this as a weekly thing. So, if you want to show, show your support and get extra weekly content uh, from the podcast, go to patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. And you've already got uh, three episodes up already two that are available for the public, two that are available for the public, and four that are available for patrons only. So, uh, yeah, go check us out there. And by being a patron, you can also suggest content later on down the line, both patron exclusive content and stuff for the podcast. So, you know, be sure to be sure to look into that if you can. As for uh what I watched, Ants is uh it's bad. Like, I don't get the appeal of this movie in the slightest. I mean, it's already I'm already jaded by knowing that it was entirely a Bugs Life ripoff. But even beyond that, Woody I gagged, I was almost ready to throw up based on some of the dialogue they had Woody Allen say in that movie. It really is just haphazard, Hapha- none of the, like, that's the thing, DreamWorks has always suffered from stunt casting, like, here's a famous person, we'll cast them, rather than, Disney would, would, the worst they did that with was kind of Chicken Little, that was the most DreamWorks scene they ever got, where, and otherwise, they'll, it doesn't matter if, they, if the, if the actor has a name or not, like, John C. Riley and Sarah Silverman are Ralph, Rickett Ralph, and Vanellope Von Schweetz. With Jack McBrayer as Fix-It Felix. So, if they don't care about your level of stardom. They care about, will your voice fit the character? Jason Bateman and Jennifer Goodwin were the stars of Zootopia. You know who was, ca- who was lower built than them? Idris freaking Elba, because it wasn't about star power, it was about who fit the role. DreamWorks does not care so much about that. There are better ones they do, because they'll have, um, like, How to Train Your Dragon will work. But even the Kung Fu Panda series, which is a good series, is kind of stunt-casted. Like, we didn't need Angelina Jolie as Tigress. She doesn't really add anything to the role. Even casting Jackie Chan and Lucy Liu as two of the masters... Then David Cross and Seth Rogen. Like, how do they fit those characters? They don't. They're just random celebrities. So, DreamWorks, this is kind of the start of DreamWorks' template. And it really starts to show. The best performance is from Gene Hackman, who is ultimately a mustache-twirling villain. Christopher Walken doesn't really make sense. He doesn't exactly get that great of a performance. Sharon Stone's character is annoying and ultimately just brainless during the course of the movie uh jennifer lopez doesn't really add anything neither does sylvester stallone and BrainCraft is fine i guess as the queen but she doesn't really do anything with the role daddy glover is there as a glorified cameo uh i did finally understand the joke about uh the the wasps in the movie but yeah it ants is not a good movie it's not a great it's not a well-told story it it wants to try and 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 like tie into communism at points which would be interesting but they never go that direction ultimately it's just toyed with with like full-on communist sloganism being thrown in there but it never goes anywhere so it's ultimately pointless and even the premise doesn't make sense because they've differentiated the soldiers from the workers by color their color, the color of their exoskeleton, determines whether or not they're a worker or a soldier. How would a worker be able to make mimic a soldier if they differ if they look different from color? And he stands out every step. This movie is so stupid. I don't get the appeal of it. If you like it, fine, but I could not stand this movie. It is absolutely awful and if you want to hear my reactions as I'm watching it live be sure to support me on patreon you can hear me hear that munch along it's a full-on riff track style commentary that you can watch, listen to alongside the movie so be sure to do that and then of course I did take a look at uh I don't I'm sure I I, I think it came out during the time when I was making the podcast so I don't remember my um uh, first thoughts on it probably about the same as the first perch I did like it more in hindsight. I did it by by analyzing more of it, I started to see where it worked a lot. But it's still not that great of a movie. Ultimately, it could it, it does tackle some interesting topics. It's it's fine, but the acting is pretty cheap. Ultimately, there are some bad lines of dialogue in this movie. And at the same time, it's still I could I could see. Someone's claiming Election Year is their favorite Purge movie, or even uh, Anarchy. I remember Anarchy being a nice step up from the first Purge movie, not the first Purge, but the original Purge movie, the the, pur- the Purge. Um, so yeah, if you want to, if you want to get more content like that, support me over on Patreon. Little as a dollar a month goes a long way. So thank you for that. And uh, next week, I'm actually going to do uh, make a. Um, uh much along for um the towering inferno to tie into skyscraper and to make a better van helsing to tie into hotel transylvania so if you want to know how i would make a better version of the christopher not christopher columbus but um who's the guy who did whoever the guy who did the mummy series his his version of the universal monster movies uh if you want to hear my thoughts on how i would make that that train wreck better be sure to support me on Patreon and if you want a nice little commentary track to go to coincide with the towering inferno, be sure you can you can get that as well. Stay tuned for that later this week. And with that in mind, let's take a quick break and come back with a discussion on when exploitation acts as social commentary. The four of you enter a dark room lit only by two torches. In between the torches stands a robed figure in a, with a long white beard. Greetings, travelers. The fate of the realm is in your hands. What is it that you require? Uh, Well, I was just saying that I probably could use an insurance policy on the realm as a whole, because if we're the ones saving it, uh, I I may be getting a chance to cash that in. Yeah, I was just wondering, um, how intelligent can some of these creatures be before it gets weird if I eat them? Pit DM would really nice. Oh, I guess it's my turn. Damn it. Yeah, use that one. Join our bumbling protagonists as they try not to die and maybe save the world in the process. Welcome to Tragic Missile. A little bit of trouble trying to find the best examples of because there's a wide list. This could be it's an ongoing series of, and I know, um, I think Junk Food Cinema tries to tackle some of this because that's it, this is in their real house. But yeah, you could do an ongoing. People have written multiple books that are collections of essays about about grindhouse and exploitation movies that act as social commentary. It really is just a fascinating topic that we're basically going to skim over, you know, get the get some of the highlights of. So yeah, with The Purge coming out, the main thing that ties into that series is the fact that as the series has gone along, the last 3 entries have all dealt with topics of social commentary, mainly classism and race relations. So with that in mind, I decided to look into other exploitation and genre movies that try to do the same. And of course the big one that comes up is black exploitation. That's the first one you would think of. Because it's exploitation and it's also social commentary. It deals with racism. It deals and specifically racism within the black community. And the black struggle. That's, that's kind of a given. Uh, aside from that you also, there was also a series of uh, animal tech movies during the 70s. Which all tied into mainly environmentalism. Aside from the jaws, uh, some of the jaws ripoffs. There's, you know, whenever there's an animal attack movie talked about, it usually has to do with mankind encroaching into an environment they have no no reason to be in. And even in really stupid stuff like the Woody Woodpecker movie, it deals with human beings overstepping their bounds. And that's a genre in and of itself. You, there's a whole, there's all kinds of stuff that deal with animals attacking humans, mainly because the humans have been encroaching in the animals' space. And even like the like Ghost in the Darkness, which is about the Lions of Zavo, uh, deals kind of with that sort of thing. Because as the British Empire is building into Nigeria, I believe it, they're encroaching on the Lions' territory, and so they start uh, mauling humans and I know Death Wish the original tried to deal with uh, crime statistics and but that quickly went off the rails that original one and the book it's based on definitely wanted to deal with the dichotomy of being a vigilante uh, killer and the the issues surrounding crime in America but the movie kind of toned that down and especially the sequels went into full on like just action shoot 'em up movies which is mainly because they were brought out by uh ah, Gobi- Gobi- oh, who are the guys the canon guys uh i'm i know them i know uh specifically uh whenever i hear about them they're just uh they they really are kind of like just ultimate schlock kingpins uh Uh, here we go. Cannon. Uh, to, okay. It's like the, it's like the, it's like the weapon, not the, not the term, uh, not the, like the not, not like, uh, meta term. All right. Uh, where is the Wikipedia? Okay. Here we go. Uh, here are their names. Come on. Where are their names? Golan and Globus. Um, Menaheim Golan and Yoram Globus. Those guys were the those were the biggest schlock masters right up, right right after um, Roger Corman and Ed Wood. Full like they go into some full on Ed Wood territory if you've seen some of their their crap. Um, but yeah, I you know that's that you know, that original Death Wish did was trying to have a point about crime. It just got lost in trying to be this. Revenge fantasy, uh, 50s sci-fi movies were also very keen on social commentary. The Day the Earth Stood Still was talking about how the Earth needed to overcome its 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 political biases and its infighting if it wanted to advance beyond the, beyond the planet. Uh, invasion of the Body Snatchers dealt with the the fear, the red scare, and the fears of communism. Even uh, uh what's another? what's another one from that time period uh i'm trying to think uh the, the thing from another world was another one there's a lot of them that kind of deal with the fears that people had in america about communism and they told those stories through alien invasions uh romero's living dead series almost every one of those entries even going towards the end uh were all trying to tackle differing topics from uh in, in, inadvertently tackling race relations by you know H- hiring a black lead actor who ultimately got shot by the end by you know by a band of rednecks trying to kill as many zombies as he could and that end imagery was very much tying into uh, a lot of stuff from the especially the deep south but the, that you see in a lot of rural areas yeah i mean he he may have not have meant it but he definitely tapped into a top uh, into that topic Um uh, when it came to uh, and even then him the idea of the zombies as an as an unstoppable force dawn of the dead led it, led into a commentary on consumerism day of the dead talked about what introduced the idea of like sentient zombie in which case it was it okay to mistreat them if they are sentient and even like diary of the dead dealt with tried to tackle you know stuff through uh found footage it was experimental in that sense it may not have been great but the Romero has always tried to tackle these sorts of issues through his movies, and I commend him for that. Another guy who would do this was Wes Craven. Uh, you saw through uh, the Last House on the Left, which it, on a, on its on, you know on first uh, look it looks like another one of those rape revenge fantasies, and so when you it's only when you dig into it that it's actually Wes Craven. Commenting on the the oh, the amount of those style movies being out there, and the fact that it, this is him saying, "Oh, you came for this? Well, what's wrong with you?" sort of thing. And uh, yeah, and I, I, I think even later on, Scream was a commentary on the idea of the of the slasher genre that he helped to create and form with the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So Wes Craven wouldn't do it all the time, but every so often he would try to make some sort of commentary with his with his uh, with his movies. Even even the uh, much derided Christ exploitation movies do try to tackle social commentary. The main thing is they tackle social commentary for the religious right. So thing you'll see things like abortion, like. Um, atheism like things that they are worried about specifically uh crises of faith and you know the fact that society has progressed beyond the need for their sort of uh religious conservatism and the the fears of those those viewers who do who think that there that's a problem and so you see that a lot in exploitation movies it's social commentary but it's people who have a certain mindset and it's that like I said it's for that audience and I just happen to disagree with their critiques of society um, another another one that people tend to forget is the Kaiju movies were born out of social commentary even as far even the most recent Godzilla movie the 2014shin Godzilla was a uh, social commentary on the Fukushima 2014? 2016. 2014 was the American Godzilla. 2016 was Shin Godzilla. Uh, but that yeah, was a commentary on the Fukushima disaster. And how the Japanese bureaucracy mishandled it. Even uh, the director has said as much. And that first Godzilla movie was born out of fears of nuclear proliferation. And the nuclear tests that were going on in the South Pacific. A lot of those kaiju movies were born out of those fears. And even as they went on, would comment Godzilla versus the Smog Monster as a commentary on pollution, where Godzilla acts as Captain Planet. <laughs> um, later on, Godzilla movies would comment on Japanese isolationism, the, the connections with the Japanese uh, during World War II. Uh, Godzilla would often have t- you know, um, they would have try to have ties with. You know the Japanese mythology and their, um, their 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 the advancement. Kind of like how Ghibli would often comment on industrialization and how it's affecting Japanese spiritual spiritually, so to speak. Uh, that you see some of that even in some of the Godzilla movies, especially during the like, high uh, the the what are they? I, I used to know these: the Showa, the Heisei, and the Millennium series. So I think during the Hazy series you saw that the most. That one definitely tried to de- tap into that whereas the Millennium series was definitely more trying to be a a a more action oriented reboot of the franchise. Although um you saw some commentary on that with uh Godzilla vs. Kai uh Godzilla X Mechagodzilla tried to tackle um, the re, you know, reanimating the dead in order to fight these battles and that sort of thing. It does, does Godzilla specifically, but even other kaiju moves, like I know Gamera does, tackles a lot of those types of, um, themes, especially Gamera being the defender of the earth, tackles a lot about industrialization and human interference with the environment. Uh, I don't know much about Ultraman, but I'm assuming a lot of that tokusatsu stuff will De- ultimately sometimes delve into commentary from time to time uh even sexploitation uh while it's not well a lot of times it is mainly basically glorified porn there are some sexploitation movies that acted as an outlet for um people who are non-heteronormative i mean specifically exploitation movies helped to bring us one of the first issue- instances of transvestitism on film. Namely, Glen or Glenda, I think that's what it is. Glen or Glenda, the Ed Wood movie. Um, I don't know if, how. Uh, I don't know if it's the first, but it's one of the more prominent instances, and it is. I think it would even be uh, Victor Victor Victoria. Yeah, Glenn or Glenda was in 1953. It was one of the one of, one of the early instances of transvestitism being talked about on film. I mean it's not i mean it's not i can't speak to its quality or even its uh, its impact on the lgbt community, but it does it does um at least bring it up, which is something mainstream Hollywood wanted to avoid for decades. They never wanted to mention anything besides heteronormative uh relationships and even then never sex it was never about sex positivity. Even if people were in a relationship, the most they did was kiss. That was all they did for the longest time. And so sexploitation not only acts as an outlet for people who had maybe sexual deviances, fetishes maybe, but also just sex positive, sex exploration, sexploration, if you will. The idea that people are... Um, people should be allowed to explore areas of their sexuality that they weren't that they wouldn't normally see in mainstream Hollywood so it's you know not all of it's great obviously some of it may seem as fetishizing to those of minority sex uh, identity sexual identities but at the same time that was one of the first outlets for that community uh even other stuff like one that I saw come up a lot was High Noon. is actually a commentary on McCarthyism. It's a genre western movie that tries to tackle the issues with McCarthyism at the time. And for for a mainstream Hollywood movie to try to do that would be was 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 jarring. But I guess that that's more mainstream Hollywood because even though westernism is a genre, it's not like. Exploitation or underground grindhouse style movies either. Not at least not until later on. Uh John and of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about John Waters, one of the most iconic exploitation directors, featured prominently a um uh I guess Prince Vestites would be the proper terminology. Well drag queen specifically. The drag queen, Divine, was featured prominently in a lot of John Waters movies. I believe John Waters. I don't want to get that wrong. Uh, Pencil-thin mustache guy. Uh... Yep, that was right. John Waters. Uh, So he he would feature prominently uh, a drag queen and would also um, talk about subjects that mainstream Hollywood wasn't going to talk about. So he was... uh, he he was definitely avant-garde in that aspect, but he was willing to do stuff as, you know, use use push the boundaries of what uh, what film would allow in order to tackle ideas and feature people that otherwise would never get any attention by Hollywood. Uh, even uh, even stuff that I don't like specifically, Machete. Uh, I've never been a fan of, but. I commend it for wanting to tackle issues that deal with the Hispanic community. You know, specifically the Mexican American issues of the whole border situation. Machete definitely ties into that whole that whole Zeitgeist that is going on. And as always try and Rodriguez while I don't think he's that competent of a filmmaker ultimately, has at least the germ of a good idea going with those movies. And like I said, they're not exactly meant to be good movies, but at least they're trying to bro- broach the subject for better or worse. Hell, even uh, even the cannibal Holocaust, one of the most iconic uh, grindhouse movies out there, was actually a commentary. It's actually political. It's actually social commentary. the The filmmakers intended the movie to be a commentary. Uh, either, either they intended or inadvertently made it a commentary. On how Western civilization views Indigenous cultures, and even though it is a cannibal movie, it's it's very um, it, it's it's filmed in a faux documentary style. It's meant to showcase, and I know um it the, I know um Eli Roth tried to do this uh to do this do a similar thing with uh what was whatever that green movie he did was a couple of years ago, uh but yeah like that that's a good thing to talk about the idea that here's how here's the problem with how westerners view west view these indigenous cultures and it's using these things that will entice people to come in That's gore and blood and viscera to tell this story about the tales of western of the western viewpoint and of course i think the last one that really came to mind was cronenberg for most of his movies. Cronenberg actually did a lot of social commentary. He. From from early on. His first real feature film. Um, Shudder. I believe it's called. Uh, let me double check. To be sure. Uh, Shiver. Uh, yeah that's what it was. Shiver. Um, that movie was actually a commentary on. The, sp- the. Prominent. Splatter. Gory. Movies that were coming out at the time. He followed that up with a movie about plastic surgery called um, Rabid, I believe. Uh, Yeah, Shivers is the first one. Rabid was his follow-up movie. And then Fast Company dealt with divorce because he was going through... No, not Fast Company. The Brood was going through divorce because he was going through a divorce at the time. And it was about child custody, so he told used that... To, in, to talk about he used his movie to talk about that uh, Videodrome was about people's fetishization of of, of a new technology and there's a whole bunch of sexual politics that were brought up in the movie but I, that I'm not I don't feel comfortable talking about but even The Fly I would never caught on to this before I had to, I had to do my research for it but people who, viewed the, who have watched The Fly which I still need to do um have commented that a lot of the movie deals with the AIDS crisis and how people viewed those with AIDS and so even his remake of The Fly had a lot more social commentary on it that people may not that people may have realized so I don't know how much of it is in his recent work like a lot of his more recent work has been more straightforward like the the his biopic about Freud and um Jung, uh, the adaptation of the comic book, A History of Violence, the Russian mob movie, Eastern Promises, even that maps, maybe that maps of the stars was commenting on uh, paparazzi and celebrity culture, but yeah, for the most part, Cronenberg did have a lot of social commentary going on in a lot of his movies, and he's better off for it, because that's the great thing about exploitation and genre movies, is you're allowed to tell these unique and interesting stories that tackle... Themes that affect modern day society. Recently, Get Out. Horror movie, genre movie, deals with race relations. And is a black man's, uh, means of saying, here's how I feel. These are my, these are my viewpoints as a black man in America. Given our history and given everything that's going on. Upgrade is a commentary on the issues of fast moving, fast evolving technology. Um... You know, like I said, The Purge is a series that deals with um, race relations and class, and the class system. How the underclass is being exploited by the upper class. I'm trying to think of other exploitation, recent exploitation movies and Grindhouse movies. I think the only one that doesn't really comment on anything is ultimately the Grindhouse movie itself made by Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. Because I don't think even Quentin... T- like, Quentin Tarantino's a fan of Grindhouse, but he's never had that much of a meaning behind his movies. It's never been much of a commentary on it. It's been more of a fanboy showcasing what he liked about movies. So, there's never any real themology that you, that's intended, I don't think. It's just more, hey, wouldn't this be cool? I mean, you could find themology and stuff, but at the same time, I don't think he ultimately intended. He's not that kind of a filmmaker. Um... Yeah, because I'm trying to think of like indie genre stuff recently. Uh, yeah, nothing's coming to mind off the top of my head of the recent stuff. Stuff goes by so quickly anymore for me that I that I'm quick to forget it unless it really sticks in my mind. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the great thing about genre and exploitation specifically is that that freedom from the system allows you to tackle subjects that otherwise would be uh sort of uh oh, what's the term focused grouped out or ex- or executives would be like no 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 we can't have that what about the you know the, this the, these demographics we can't do you know that's the great thing about indie and especially like underground style movies you're allowed to push those boundaries and tell interesting stories that you otherwise may not get from mainstream hollywood and so we will you know it's always kind of been there but I am, I'm hoping to can see it, be, it come up more and more, especially in today's climate. I'm all about people showcasing you know, their points of view through their film. That's what makes film all the more interesting. So, yeah. I'll be like my quick sort of overview of genre film and exploitation. There's people who are way smarter than I am that have tackled this. And I think you should definitely seek out this material if you're interested. It's out there. I recommend you know I can I can't recommend enough. You go check out some of this stuff. This was just from uh, cursory glances and Google searching. So if I missed anything, be sure to let me know. I would love to hear your suggestions of great exploitation and genre film. And if I made a mistake, maybe this exploitation isn't as sex positive as I made it out to be. If you if you have more insight on that, let me know. I'm definitely interested to hear Other people's thoughts on this It's such a fascinating topic It could serve as its own podcast It could serve as its own ongoing series It's such a cool idea And of course as more people make stuff In their in the sort of grindhouse and exploitation aesthetic That deals with social commentary There's always going to be more stuff to talk about So with that being said Let's take a look at this week's Box Office Report and now, the Popcorn Junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Now, given the fact that we did have two major se- ma- two major entries in, uh, well, two entries in a major franchises and opening this weekend, you can expect them in the top seven, but let's take a look at what we got so far. Um, Won't You Be My Neighbor is rising up, actually, into the top ten. It's expanding into more theaters. And people are seeing it more and more, which is good. Um, uh, The only one to really drop out of the top seven so far is uh, Tag, which dropped down to number eight. Uh, So looking at the top seven now, we've got Ocean's 8 at number seven with $5.2 million, bringing its overall domestic total. If the internet will work for me for some reason, it's not try that again there we go that was weird um bringing its domestic total to 126 million and its worldwide gross to 236 million meaning it's actually now the second highest grossing entry in the oceans franchise if you compare it compared to the other four it's still not it's still not outgrossing 13 when adjusted for inflation but unadjusted for inflation, it has outgrossed um, oceans, oceans 12 and 13, uh, but it is still the lowest grossing of the world, wor- uh, worldwide. So I, once again, I'm just hoping that people will take that as, even though it's made been profitable, the fact that it's still all, it's continually, continually, lowering interest that it's more to do with the franchise and not the cast, which was fine. Dropping down from number four this week is Cica- is uh not uh that's coming up later. Uncle Drew at number six, which brought in six point six million dollars, bringing its domestic total up to twenty nine million, and its worldwide total uh up to thirty million, thirty and a half million. Uh I think that's about its budget ultimately, so it's I think it's finally Got a, you know, it's finally made back the budget. It just needs to make back the, the um marketing, and maybe since it's co-financed by Pepsi, they're not as worried about that. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not all that surprised. People are kind of losing interest in this. Uh, Dropping down from number three to number five is the aforementioned Sicario, which brought in seven point three million. Bringing its domestic total up to 35, and its foreign total its global total up to 43.5, meaning it's still underperforming compared to the first Sicario, although it's pretty close. Uh, Worldwide, the first Sicario is is outranking it completely. It's it's not it's it's at least double the gross uh, from the from this movie. But we'll see if it's able to. It may be able to make back its. May, it may be able to supersede domestically the first Sicario, but it's not. It doesn't look like it'll make back its money at all. So, not surprised there. Um, premiering at number four this week is the First Purge, which brought in seventeen million dollars. Um, wait, apparently there's been an update because because its uh, domestic total for the weekend is actually thirty one million dollars. And its global total on its opening weekend is going to be 40, almost $42 million on a $13 million budget. So, the Purge series is going strong, and be sure to expect more from this franchise in the future. Uh, next up, dropping down from number one to number three is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which brought in $28.5 million bringing its domestic total to $333 million, and its global total over a billion dollars. Unfortunately, that still means it's only third ranked overall in the Jurassic Park franchise and, and adjusted for inflation has yet to surpass l- the Lost World Jurassic Park. And, but globally, it is the second highest grossing after Jurassic World. So people overseas are loving this movie more than people in America. And I think it's just because, hey, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are amazing. Uh, Staying at number two this weekend is The Incredibles 2. Or, I guess, Incredibles 2. With $29 million, bringing its domestic gross up to $504 million. And its global gross to $772 million. Which, even if it had a $300 million budget, it, well, it made back its money and then some. Uh, It's still the highest grossing Pixar movie currently. Uh, overcoming Finding Dory. Uh, Unadjusted for inflation, it's still number three. Uh, uh, If if you adjust for inflation, Finding Nemo and Finding Dory are still uh, better performing. Although, if it can make $10 million over the next couple of weeks, this will be the highest-grossing Pixar movie to date. Uh, uh, Globally, it's only number six. Coco is still higher performing than this Inside Out, the Finding Nemo duology and then toy story 3 is still the highest grossing worldwide but this is on is this is on uh this is about to become the highest grossing pixar movie of all time so good for you guys you earned it and then lastly shocking no one opening this weekend at number one is ant-man and the wasp which brought in 76 million dollars domestically and globally brought in 161 million dollars Unfortunately, that only I think makes back its budget. Uh, if we take a look at Wikipedia, we might be able to see it. It's not on, um, it's not on the uh, box office Mojo page for it. Wikipedia says its budget was 162 million, so it's only been able to make back its budget. Uh, compared to that first Ant Man movie, though. Which had a budget of 142 million, and was only really able, but was able to make back with 100 with 519 million. So it might do. It might get better as time goes on. Uh, It really doesn't have anything else to compete with until uh, Mission Impossible, Uh, because next week is going to be Skyscraper. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder which one people would rather see. So it may do better o- overall uh, compared to Ant Man. Uh, Ant Man's opening weekend it actually surpassed Ant Man's opening weekend. So it it could ultimately do better in the long run, but we'll have to wait and see. And maybe the foreign markets will carry it because it's Marvel. But once again, we'll, it's only only time will tell. So that's kind of. Then the box office this weekend. Uh, other premieres this weekend. We have the uh, the documentary on Whitney Houston premiere at number 11 behind Deadpool uh, in 452 theaters. And then only in 16 theaters. And Sorry to Bother You made, uh, made $700,000. Sorry to Bother You opened in 16 theaters this weekend, which I hear great things about. And was able to outperform Superfly in its fourth week and adrift and its sixth so it's 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 slated to do well if it can ex- expand into more theaters i cannot wait for that i hear great things and then let's end things off with a little trailer talk coming this summer It's Trailer Talk. Read it all. Starts Friday. Ooh, that new bumper. Yeah, I'm doing all kinds of stuff now. I added bumper music to the Patreon stuff. I added a Trailer Talk bumper. Yeah, I'm becoming a real podcast. Alrighty, so this week, coming up, we've got Hotel Transylvania 3, Summer Vacation, and the aforementioned Skyscraper. So, the only thing that could really give any trouble for, uh... Ant-Man and the Wasp is probably going to be Hotel Transylvania because that's going to be the thing for families to see. But, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see this weekend. I know I haven't seen any of the Hotel Transylvania movies, but I'm going to have to check them out on Netflix. So, first up, Hotel Transylvania 3. Let's take a look at that trailer. What can I help you with, Lord of Darkness? I'm looking Mm. for a date. Oh boy! No, no. I want to meet someone. Understood. You get it. You voice attack. Uh, Siri is Siri isn't perfect at voice recognition. I understand. You want baloney? Uh, uh, too many eyes, too few eyes, not into tentacles. Dad? No, oh, maybe. You're stressed out from working too hard. You need a uh, vacation. Ah, I. I hate dubbing over stuff with other dialogue for the movie. I've always hated that in kids' movies. I don't know why they do it. There's so much to do. You could go scuba diving. Try some exotic food. Or just enjoy the view. Okay, Dad, thank you. On your own fireworks on the cruise It's not the love boat Frank Ahoy there God now th- Erica. This just makes me wish Gendy got a car got to do His Popeye movie There's something about an accent that makes A man sound so Intelligent What the hell was that You nailed it honey but this trip you were right great grandfather van helsing monsters are disgust is a monster trap i have no idea what's about to happen to them <laughs> also it looks like they're trying to do a set up a romance between one of the werewolf kids and uh, the vampire kid Yeah, I just wish he got his Popeye movie. (sighs) (sighs) Yeah, yeah, I'm not... Nothing about this is enticing to me in the slightest. The trailer is just complete kids' movie schlock, and I don't enjoy it at all. And... Yeah, whatever interesting thing that there was about Hotel Transylvania 3 doesn't seem to be here. Also, where do you use a sex song to uh, sell your kids' movie? Because, yeah, if, you didn't list, if you've if you never listened to the song, Cake by the Ocean is full-on, like, about sex. Like, literally sex on the beach. Uh, he talked about Kitty on the Dry Land for crying out loud. Yeah, thanks, 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 Hollywood, for not listening to the music before you put it in a movie and next up let's take a look at skyscraper uh the, uh the die hard meets towering inferno movie i guess i don't know it's it, it never made sense to me but let's take a look at that trailer he's an amputee you ever miss it i haven't touched a gun in 10 years after what happened that night thanks for the exposition Gonna be okay. How weird is it that doc, like, how often do doctors hook up with their patients? Me. That, because that always kind of feels weird to me. Mr. Sawyer, you are the very first family we've had in the residential section of the Pearl. After your security assessment, what do you think of the building? The Pearl is the most advanced, super tall structure in the world. It's a breathtaking achievement. But. No one really knows what would happen if things go wrong. I think that's Ruby Rose. Hello, boys. Let it burn. The 96th floor is on fire. Sarah, listen to me. The fire is not gonna stop. Keep going up, don't stop. Yeah, that's where the towering inferno stuff comes in. Get back! Well, well, Wait, what? My in there. Wouldn't he have con- credentials? Like, Why are the cops trying to arrest him? Because he needs an excuse to try and scale the... the uh, this doesn't make any damn sense. That was dumb. Yeah, this whole movie's dumb, buddy. Oh... Uh, Oh that that shot is so gloriously bad. Just the man I was looking for. This building is protecting something that I want. You're going to get it for me. Anything can be done with the proper motivation. No. Great advertisement for duct tape. Okay, does the daughter die or not? I I swear she's not in these shots, so like is she dead? Is she being held hostage? I gotta get you out of this building. I need you to be brave right now, okay? Yeah. Dead Lives Zo. And they're dead. Yeah, this is gonna be a real test to see if Dwayne Johnson can sell a movie just on his own, because I well no. Uh because San this is the same guy who did San Andreas with him, and that one kind of showcased that it doesn't need to be a franchise. It could just be Dwayne The Rock Johnson being an action star, and people will probably come see it for just just for, you know, poops and giggles. Uh so Uh, That's probably the one I'll see. I'll probably see Hotel Transylvania first, get it out of the way, and then Skyscraper I'll have to see and deal with it when I get to it. So, yeah. Uh, we'll, We'll burn that building when we get to it. So with that being said, that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep updated on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to like that page. and Well, like the page, favorite the page, and you can be, you can be sure to visit it every Monday when the new episodes will come out. And you can stay up to date on all the podcasts. And check out some of our other podcasts as well while you're there. We've got all kinds of great programming. I started a new podcast with Macintosh and, with Diana from Macintosh and Maud. Who I just recorded with uh, this weekend. And I'm excited for that one. Uh, where we But uh, Living in the Stacks. Where we do a book club every couple of weeks. We take the time to read a book. And give our thoughts on it. Coming this Tuesday. The day after you hear this. Uh, a first you should be able to hear our discussion on animal farm which gets super topical because i'm bad at picking things so be sure to tune in for that and you know and um all of our other stuff we uh did julia the wolves and we ju- uh before this was the looking glass wars by frank Bedore, Come check us out, show, uh, show us some love, um, let us know you like it, and then uh, for us, for this podcast, you can also check us out on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, through Stitcher, not Stitcher, uh, well, we're also on Stitcher, but through Spreaker, we're on iHeartRadio, and we're on iTunes and Google Play, so be sure to leave a five-star rating and review, and let people know that you like the show, that they should check it out as well. And you can also do that by sharing us on your social media. The social media home for us at Popcorn Junkie is is, is Facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie. That's where all the major announcements come out. That's where all the big stuff is going to be. And if you want to get more in touch with me directly, you can follow me on Twitter at Corn You can follow me on Instagram on, at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. You can follow me on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. That's where you get my initial reactions to stuff. And be sure to check out Stardust as well. We have a lot of fun on there. I'm there with the Double Toasted guys. Epic Voice Guy, the internet's other John Bailey. Mars Girl is on there. Just fun times to be had. And great stuff to find. You can see people's reactions to stuff. Engage whether or not you want to see it. We talk about movies, TVs, and trailers. It's all fun to be had. Join us over on Stardust. And then if there's... And then, of course, we're also on Patreon, where we get exclusive content, the much-along series and the Make a Better Movie series. Like I said, coming up this week, expect much-along for The Towering Inferno and Make a Better Movie for Van Helsing. That'll be coming up this week. And then, if there's anything else you want to say to the podcast, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of comments you want to make, any kind of corrections you think I should make send all that to popcorn at at gmail.com and I'll be sure to read it out on the podcast if not I can always get back to you privately and uh and I always love to hear your feedback I want to know what you guys are thinking so that about does it for this week until next time I'm John Bailey and in case I forgot to mention it uh ant-man and the wasp is just in front of the guardian of the galaxy movies for me in terms of the mcu rankings so in case you were wondering about that the theme song for popcorn junkie is funky popcorn by the m look up funky popcorn by the letter m on soundcloud for more of their music Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up Nafio.DeviantArt.com for more of his artwork. for Infinity War and then also tying into <coughs> this movie sorry my, my uh I'm still hacking up uh lawn debris from my day's work and uh, I missed some of the other ones but yeah, but Wes Craven he didn't do it a lot but he would every so often he would try to that was weird then I heard an explosion. Sorry.